today on Ag News Daily. Commodity prices, specifically corn prices, really started to ramp up beginning in that August-September timeframe. And, you know, all three factors pretty much came together to create a much overused term, but a perfect storm, if you will. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hubble joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, you know anything new today? I'm not sure I do. Maybe not so much new, but I'm excited because my roommates and I are all back and settled into the house after the Easter weekend. We all went back and saw our family. So we hadn't seen each other in some time. And I've talked about my roommate's cat a little bit on the podcast before. And she's like half angel, half devil. Today, she's sitting at my feet, which she likes to nibble on. So I'm kind of scared that she's going to turn into a devil here in a moment. But she's being real sweet right now. So hopefully that continues. (laughs) Hopefully she doesn't... uh make any cat noises on the podcast today. Although sometimes when I'm working from home, I'm always afraid you guys can hear my dog. I'm always scared that you guys can hear the cat because she does this really weird thing. She's like a dog. She'll like fight with her tail and like she'll go into a little ball and her back feet will kick her face and she'll end up like getting in a fight with herself. And so I'm always scared that you guys are are hearing that. It just makes things more exciting that way for our listeners. I guess so. I don't know. Sometimes this background noise, it can it can be a little irritating for me, at least whenever I'm recording. I just want her to be quiet. Yeah, I understand that completely. But I tell you what, Ashton, that's probably enough chit chat for folks today. They're probably a little more excited to hear what's on the news wires. What are you watching today? Well, of course, the I shouldn't say the issue, but the hot topic with carbon sequestration is an ongoing one. And the farmer interest in getting paid to sequester carbon continues to rise, according to the latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. And they're always doing surveys and all sorts of stuff. And we don't talk about it a whole lot on the podcast, but I thought this one was an interesting one because we really haven't talked about you know the ways that farmers can get paid to sequester carbon. We really just talked about... Um, kind of carbon banks, how they're actually going to to do all of that kind of stuff. Jim Minert, who is the director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, says that there's so much interest between producers about what's going on with carbon credits that between 30 to 40% of people in their surveys say that they're aware of at least some opportunities to receive a carbon sequestration payment. He told Brownfield Ag News that among the small amount of producers who reported carbon sequestration, let me pick that up, who reported carbon sequestration payments that were offered, just 7% indicated they've had some discussions with companies about possible payments on their farming operations. 1% report they've signed up for carbon sequestration contracts. And among the people who have had some discussions, They asked what rates are being discussed on a per acre basis, and a little over 80% said that the payment rates were $20 per acre or less. And those responses were split evenly or pretty evenly between people saying the rates offered were less than $10 an acre and people saying the rates were between $10 to $20 per acre. So pretty interesting. I'm excited to see more companies kind of come out with the terms of contract. I don't know if that's going to be public knowledge. Um, hopefully it is because I'd be interested in seeing, you know, what farmers have to say about that kind of payment. I don't know 
if this is a large price, I guess we really don't have too much to kind of compare this to. Yeah, very true, Ash. And we don't yet since this is so new. But since you mentioned the CME Ag Economy Barometer, that's of course put on with Purdue University as well. Another indicator in that uh, monthly report was the Ag Barometer itself, which rose to 177 points in March. Now, I know that probably doesn't mean a lot to anybody just thinking on a points-based system, but in comparison here, this has been the highest reading since last fall when we hit 184 in October and a 12-point rise compared to February's reading of the index. And when you look at why this jump happened, the report attributes it to optimism from producers for the future and optimism across the board as far as exports, trade, production, commodity markets, etc. So producers are a little rosier when it comes to looking to the future of agriculture, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I have some good news coming from the Renewable Fuels Association and some good news for the biofuels industry as it seeming like they are kind of turning a corner after a really hard year of COVID disruptions. Of course, back when the pandemic was kind of first beginning and going into last summer, summer of 2020, people weren't quite sure when we would, you know, kind of get back to normal. And there were so many different predictions you know, if we were going to be back by 2022, 2024, there was a, a couple of years thrown out. But the CEO of the RFA says that it was this time last year when the pandemic kind of pulled the rug out from underneath the ethanol industry. And after a real tough year, Jeff Cooper says that plants seem to be turning the corner. He says that domestic ethanol blending rates have returned to pre-pandemic levels and the outlook is looking bright. So definitely some good news for the biofuels industry. I'm honestly kind of shocked that we're already kind of turning this corner. Yeah, that certainly does seem a little surprising, doesn't it, Ashton? It does. I, I don't want to compare it to, you know, us not knowing if China's kind of rebuilding their hog herd, but it's kind of, that's just what it made me think of is if if this is true or if it's going to take us longer to actually get back to that point. Yes, certainly a similar facet there to that. But let's see, as we look at a different industry, the plant-based protein industry, we saw the latest sales reports put out by the Plant-Based Foods Association and the Good Food Institute said that according to new data, we saw plant-based foods soar in 2020. Retail sales grew by some 27%, which brought the total market share up to $7 billion. And so it does appear that plant-based foods are continuing to make their foothold, grow their foothold here in the United States. You know, Delaney, I don't want to bash anyone who chooses to be vegetarian, vegan, pescatarian, you know, anyone who chooses that lifestyle. But while I was home over Easter weekend, I was with one of my older sisters and her fiance was making veggie burgers for some of their friends who are vegetarian. And I got to say, didn't look too appetizing, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I'm usually right there with you, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I have one more piece of news today, and it is yet again about some legislation. I feel like I've been talking a lot about legislation this week, but this one is quite interesting to me. 
It is titled the Preserving Family Farms Act. Representative Jimmy Panetta and Representative Jackie Wolorski introduced this bipartisan legislation that would help family-owned farms continue operations after a loved one has passed away by easing the burden of the estate tax. The bill would modernize the special use of valuation provision of the estate tax by increasing the amount of farmland that can be valued for farming operations rather than development value. This would protect family-owned farmland by assessing estate taxes on the actual value of their businesses that they, in many cases, have spent decades cultivating. So there's kind of a lot, I feel like, that kind of goes into this act, but it would also increase the maximum amount allowed under the Section 2032A exemption from $750,000 to $11 million, thus reviving a critically important tool in the toolbox for farm and ranch families across the U.S., If enacted, this legislation will provide a permanent solution to an issue that has been long plagued our nation's producers. So I guess maybe some good news. We've already seen NCBA and American Farm Bureau come out and talk about this. I haven't read American Farm Bureau's stance on it. However, National Cattlemen's Beef Association says that they support this legislation. So I guess we'll just wait and see if anybody else comes out and says anything about it and if it gets pushed through. All right. Well, one thing that did get pushed through today, Ashton, not really pushed through, it's not legislation, but the Philippines has made an announcement that they will be continuing to lower tariffs on U.S. pork because they said they're dealing really hard here with African swine fever's continued outbreaks. And that has pushed their domestic pork supplies to some low levels that they don't feel comfortable with. Uh, The Philippines also will rely pretty heavily on pork as a staple to their diet as well. And they said that due to African swine fever, they really have not been able to keep up here. And since 2019, they've been continuing to battle the disease. And that has put supplies at a very tight level. And domestic pork prices have spiked pretty high as of recently. So we will continue to see hopefully that marketplace to the Philippines grow. And that's continued demand here for U.S. pork. So always positive there. Certainly is Delaney, but I'm excited to see where the markets landed for today because I am all out of news and I'm ready to head into that segment if you are. I am as well, Ashton. Let me get my markets pulled up here and looking across the board today, we saw soybeans finally pull back. But we have been continuing to watch prices uh, rally this week. I was just reading something earlier this week that said that Brazil has been struggling pretty heavily with getting in their second crop, getting that planted. And uh, that has definitely been weighing in on the markets today. Corn futures have advanced now for the second day in a row. And soybean futures started the day higher, but could not quite finish there. However, like I mentioned, corn did finish higher on the day. The May corn contract up six and a quarter cent to close at five sixty and a half. The Dece up two and two quarter cents to close at eight, or excuse me, four eighty-five and a half. In the soybean pits today, the May contract shedding ten cents to close at fourteen oh eight and three quarters. November down just half a cent today to close at twelve seventy and three quarters. Chicago wheat higher today as well, with the May contract adding three quarters of a cent to close at six sixteen and a quarter. The Dece up four and a quarter to close at six twenty-three and a half. 
Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today. Green across the screen. April live cattle adding 42.5 cents to close at 123.15. The June up 65 cents to close at 125.27 and a half. And in feeder cattle today, the April contract adding $1.15 to close at 147.62 and a half. The May up 90 cents to close at 152.67 and a half. Lean hogs higher as well with the April contract adding 77 and a half cents to close at 102.87 and a half. The June up $2.27 and a half cents to close at 107.90. And wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. The April contract up seven cents today to close at 17.52. The May up 44 cents to close at 19.07. Without further ado, Ashton, let's get over to our interview for today. Well, for today's interview, we are talking to Russ Quinn, who is a DTN Progressive Farmer staff reporter. Russ, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Ashton. So we had you on because you have been doing some reporting about fertilizer prices. Delaney and I have been talking a little bit about that on the podcast. But before we get into the reasoning and, and all of that good stuff, there's a few fertilizers that you have been tracking specifically. So can you just identify those before we really get into the good stuff? Well, we we have tracked retail fertilizer prices <laughs> for the uh, last 12 years at DTN. So yeah, the eight, the eight major fertilizers would be MapDap, Potash, Urea, N34O, and Anhydrous, UAN28, UAN32. And then we would create a price index from those prices, both the national and the state indexes. And, uh, and, We've been asked many times to add more uh, fertilizers, but those are those are the, the eight that that we follow, and we call retailers every week uh, to get the prices. And uh, we also pull some bids off the internet as well on the websites for various fertilizer retailers. And Russ, we regularly talk about the reports that you guys put out, the information you put out, and the trend has overwhelmingly been here for a little while that fertilizer prices are on the rise. But it sounds like we were talking before we started recording today that that trend has been going on for a little while. So talk to us about the history of fertilizer prices and what's been adding into this momentum of increased prices. Um, well, for many years, the last five or six years, uh, we have several charts that you can go back and look and see that retail fertilizer prices for all eight of the major fertilizers were fairly flat. I mean, they, we had small increases and small decreases in prices. Um, but then once we got to pretty much last fall, it'd be like October of 2020, then you started to see the, the prices starting to climb at that point. And, and uh, mainly because from talking to retailers, like I do every week, uh, the refill price after the fall fertilizer season was such a strong season that the refill price for a lot of the fertilizers, for a lot of the fertilizer retailers came in significantly higher because there was less supply because first of all, so much of it was applied in the fall. And secondly, going back even further into summer, 2020, um, the, the, the second half of the, of the year, generally, there's less global shipments of fertilizer. And so you, you factor those two things together uh, with the fact that commodity prices, specifically corn prices, 
really started to ramp up beginning in that August, September timeframe. And, you know, all three factors pretty much came together to create a much overused term, but a perfect storm, if you will, of, of why we see fertilizer prices climb. And then once you got into the end of 2020, the first couple of months of 2021, uh, these prices have been on a very steep incline. So, Russ, this might seem like a given, and um, it, it might be a silly question, if you will, but why should producers be concerned with this increase in prices? Well, I mean, if, if, if they haven't already bought fertilizer, they're going to pay a lot more for it this spring compared to last spring or even last fall. Um, we have a poll questions that we run on the DTM Crescent Farmer uh, websites. And we asked the question, I believe it was in January. Well, there was one in January, but uh, it was in March about how much fertilizer farmers have locked in. And uh, not surprising, there's, there's always farmers that are going to lock in their input costs when they know that they're at a level that will allow them to remain profitable. But uh, it was, I believe it was around 70% of the respondents to poll said they had already locked in their fertilizer prices. So for many producers, and maybe many is not the word, maybe some producers at least, um, retail fertilizer prices may not affect them for the 2021 growing season as they already have a lot of their fertilizer uh, needs locked in. Um, but ultimately, prices stay high in you know, the 2022 season is when they're going to see a, a, a direct effect of these higher fertilizer prices. But those farmers that didn't lock in fertilizer prices this past winter, this spring, or even last fall, I guess, um, yeah, they're going to see significantly uh, higher fertilizer prices. Um, I can specifically that uh, the MAP and DAP, which are uh, uh, phosphorus fertilizers, uh, they're already... 52 and 61 percent higher compared to a year ago. So you're you're you know you're paying you're going to be paying more than half of more expensive than than you did a year ago. So you, that's going to cut into the, the the pocketbook a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So Russ, you were talking. You mentioned there just a little bit ago about 2022 and beyond. So I want to kind of wrap things up here with that because, as we well know, retailers are quick to increase costs, supply costs, input costs of seed and fertilizer and other things as commodity prices rally. But they're slow to pull those costs back down if and when we get back into a down cycle in commodities. What's your long-term outlook here for 2022 and beyond? What's the research pointing to as far as fertilizer prices are concerned? Well, yeah, you're exactly right, uh, Lenny. Is they, they do not go down nearly as fast as they go up. It, it's pretty amazing to watch corn prices climb this fall, and then I can look at my fertilizer charts and see that you know fertilizer was just going right along with them, you know, right at that real time, right then. But uh, but when it when it's the other direction, it it it, it really doesn't go down as fast. Um, other previous rallies in the past, um, it, it's going to be it's going to lag behind. It's going to be months behind before uh, retail fertilizer declines after the, the after the uh, grains would would drop but and 
I mean, that's just that's just the honest truth. That's that's if you look at these charts, that's that's how it operates. But your question about yeah, twenty twenty two is going to see is going to be the point that oil crop producers are going to feel the full effects of uh, prices increasing for their input costs, uh, not only fertilizer prices, but you know seed costs and chemical costs are all going to rise significantly because. Most farmers probably already had most of their seed already locked in for the 2021 growing season last fall, maybe even last summer, or at least this this winter. So those prices were already established. You know that seed was at so many dollars a bag, but now when we get into 2020, yeah, you know, much like fertilizer, it's it's going to. I think farmers are going to see this. And from talking to retailers and extension folks, is yeah, that's their feeling is that uh, beyond 2021, 2022, 2023, is that the uh, input prices are going to be higher unless we see commodity prices pull back and then thus fertilizer prices would decline. But from everybody I've talked to for the last five, six months, is that as long as Grain prices continue to be high. Fertilizer prices are going to be at least firm to higher. So as far as fertilizer goes, it, it doesn't appear anytime soon that prices will decline. But the big caveat is, of course, whatever the corn price does, if the corn price decides a year from now to, to go significantly lower, well, then fertilizer prices will, will most likely tag along, although it might be months later. Well, Russ, we just want to thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. There's definitely some clarity that we needed, so we appreciate you taking the time to do that for us. Obviously, folks can go and read some of your articles on DTNPF.com, but where can they find you elsewhere, like on social media, if they want to keep up with you? Um, yeah, I, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at Russ Quinn DTN. Awesome. Well, again, Russ, thanks so much for coming on today. Anytime. Thanks again there to Russ Quinn for coming on and talking to us about fertilizer prices. Like I said there, Delaney, we needed a little bit of clarification, and I'm glad that he was able to give that to us because we didn't really know too much, but now I feel like I know enough. So thanks again there to Russ. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to have him on again sometime, Ashton. We certainly will, Delaney. But for those folks that want to go and listen to any of our previous episodes or just want to keep up with us, they can do so at agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us on social media at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.